Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 163 of the Listening Podcast. We are a bi-state podcast at this point. We are. We have one person living in New Hampshire. We have another living in the state of Maine. Sea to shining, shining sea, Sean. That, <laughs> That's a tongue twister. If sea to shining sea, Sean, yeah. is hard to say. If by sea to shining sea, you mean like just the Atlantic. If I mean coast of the river that bisects <laughs> I know. Portsmouth and Kittery. Yep, then that, yes. Sea yeah. to shining sea, Sean. See? See. <laughs> Toy boat. Toy it's boat, like it's toy like a tongue boat, twister. Toy boat. Um, yeah. So you know, it's good to be back in the old stomping grounds, Jake. I barely recognize it. How does it feel to breathe clean air? Ah, the sights, the sounds. There's nothing like it. The electricity of being back in uh, the Queen City, Jake. in Manchester. Yeah. yeah. Opiate addiction is a big <laughs> problem here. Running rampant. Yeah. And who can blame them, Jake? With the state of our country right now. Yeah, listeners, listen to the post show if you want to. Actually, don't if you have any... any <laughs> if your mood is at all good, don't listen to hold it. Hold on to that because we talked a lot about politics, which, you know, is not going great right now. <laughs> no, no, by any standard. Uh, okay, again, if you're interested in that, go ahead and listen. But we're, we're going to talk music here. Um, and we're going to talk about one of the least political news items we possibly could, Jake. Kanye West. Oh, good. Oh, so the release date for his uh, supposed new album, Jesus is King, came and went uh, with nothing to show for it, with the exception of a quote-unquote release party um, where he played the unfinished album for people in a theater in Queens, New York. Um are we surprised that no. this didn't come out? What what do we think with Kanye here at this point now? What's going on? Not surprised whatsoever. In fact, I remember it might have been two episodes ago or last episode we talked about the fact that this album had a quote-unquote release date. And I remember, like, I think my only take was it will not come out that day. Yeah. There's a 0% chance. Yeah. Um, I bet it, my life on it. Yeah, it, it's true. Hey, here you are. Still alive. <laughs> will it ever come out? Who knows, man? It because could, like, it could come out right now, or Yandy it could come out in ten years. Yeah, yeah, I, dude, I, I don't know. And, and like, that's really the only, all I have to say about that news item is like, we've lost Kanye. He's he is on another planet right now. He's in another stratosphere. Well, and it's he's he, on he's in at Neptune in fucking Ad Astra right now. He, I, I really want to see that. movie. It's very good. Um. But I was going to say about Kanye, and this is jumping ahead a little bit to a new topic, but I we won't I won't totally eat up that topic. But looking at the Pitchfork list of best yes. albums of of the decade, um, it was second on the list. And thinking about where we were in 2010 with Kanye West and where we are in 2019 with Kanye West is a uh, it's a big jump. Well, I think it's pretty indicative of the decade in and of itself. And and you, me, and big friend of the pod, Josh, were having a nice text conversation about this earlier in the week where we were kind of speculating, like, what will this decade be remembered by? And it's funny because I think Kanye West is sort of a perfect representation of the rise and fall of the 2010s in technology and social media. It was like this bright, shining, like, the world's going to be a great place. We're going to get genius works and then it's like oh no now we are not getting an album release from like this trumper you, you know what's uh what, what's what's really tough and i hope this makes any sense is that 
text conversations with friends yeah. as someone in my mid to late twenties. I start. I feel like I'm. I'm one of the characters in the throne room in Phantom Menace with the words I'm throwing around. Where I'm like rebellion, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like that's what it feels like to be alive right now. Oh I'm that dude God. with like the little pointy beard. <laughs> yes, this like soft fucking invasion. <laughs> Career bureaucrat. Yeah, that's what it feels like to live in this. Country. We 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 cannot sustain an invasion of that magnitude. My 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 liege. <laughs> this guy just wants to keep being fat, dumb, and happy. But those are what the kind of words get thrown around now. I, oh, I know. In a text I know thread. It. I that know has nothing it. to do with Kanye. Anyways, West. Uh, so that came and went. Um, <laughs> you know, I just had to say, like, so so representative of where we're at right now and of the decade, but. Jake, let, let's dive into the meat of the episode here. Let's dive in with some hot thoughts. Now, the last two episodes that we've done, we have had two of the strongest album release Fridays that we've had in years and years. I think this one that just happened, the sheer quality and quantity may be the best album release day we've had the entire year. What are your thoughts there? Totally, totally agree. It's actually a staggeringly good week we just had. And for and anyone who doesn't know, here, here's what we're we're talking about. The here. list of albums we're yeah we're that we're going to talk about. This, this does not even include maybe some of the other ones that are on people's radar. But for us, Angel Olsen, All Mirrors, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Ghost Team, Dive, Deceiver, Danny Brown. You know what I'm saying? And for good measure, the Menzingers with Hello Exile. Yeah, and so quite the week. Uh, a prolific, really heavy music week. All these albums are really excellent. And and, and that is evidenced by the fact that um, we keep a spreadsheet tracking the Pitchfork Best New Music of the Year. Because, of course, we do. Right. Because um, of our over-under bet, which I think you're going to win. It's, it doesn't look good for me right now. It's going to be close. It's going to be interesting. Um, we're, I think, 37 on the year so far. I need, like, 10 more in two months. It's not going to happen. The last six have been just... So if you look at the year on the whole, the numbers are, like, 8-3, 8-4, 8-3, 8-3, 8-3, 8-4, Never going that much higher up than that. I think in the last six, the lowest is an 8.6. Crazy. And, like, we... Nick Cave got an 8.8. Angel Olsen got an 8.9. Lana Del Rey got a 9.4. Yep. Which is the highest in years that they've given out. It's been, a, it's been a powerful couple weeks. Yeah. Should we start with Angel Olsen? Yeah, let's start with Angel Olsen here. So I think going into this last Friday, I think this one probably had the most hype, the probably the biggest press rollout or kind of like album cycle rollout of promotion. Um, you know, the music videos, the singles, the interviews, um, all leading up to a really, really excellent album. It felt like Angel Olsen kind of knew like hey this is like i've been building 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 with all of my other albums my woman felt like kind of a breakthrough yeah this one was like all right i'm here and i'm one of like the voices in indie music and not even really indie music just music in general right now with all mirrors and i think this was the one that i was most anticipating um this is an absolutely gorgeous album this is packed to the gills with great songwriting just insanely lush arrangements. The strings on here are gorgeous. Um, apparently, she has two versions of this album that that she was writing. Like 
she went away, I think, to like Washington State or yep. something, wrote this on her own. She's kind of a stripped down version of just the songs on here. And she was planning to release the stripped down version and the orchestrated kind of like full version that we actually ended up getting on Friday. She was going to release both of those at the same time. Decided to go with this full version, which is probably the right move. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's the right move in terms of if you're going to release one of them first. Although we don't know what that other one That's sounds true. like. I'm very interested yeah. in what it could be like. So I got to say... Um, as good as my woman was, and it was excellent. Um, and and there's many great songs on there. And, and I think to your point, it really is the true breakthrough for Angela Olsen, where she went from like kind of an indie darling yeah. to like a, a true like kind of like star, star, like yeah. in in an indie respect. Where I, I you know I compare her rise um, to like a Saint Vincent almost. Yeah, starting out as an indie darling. Getting a little bit of more mainstream uh, attention, and then finally bursting onto the scene and being like a, a definitive star. But I have to say, um, though I did enjoy that album, and I've enjoyed other uh, songs and, and, and music I've heard from Angels in the past. This is the real breakthrough for me, for her, for her music in general. Yep. Where like it has finally clicked in my brain, where I'm like, "Yep, I'm very much all in." Yep. Um, this album's doing very, very interesting things. I think her songwriting is as strong as it's ever been. And the way it's recorded is so lush and interesting because there's a lot of electronic elements, but the 12-piece string element that she has brought in is like really, really powerful. Oh, yeah. um, on songs like, I think it's it's too easy, or no, New Love Cassette I'm thinking of, yeah. where it has these bursts, these yeah. little like, like it's not, there's no strings, then all of a sudden it bursts into the song. Yeah. Really powerful stuff and oh, interesting to, to not only conceive of a song that way, but know how to use yes. instruments like that. That song in particular, this is a very probably obscure reference that won't do anyone any good, but it reminds me of um, of Sea Change by Beck. Oh, yeah, that's a great call. Yep, yep, I can totally see that. Um, I think Lark is an amazing opener. Yeah. Uh, like that I could see in a few years being added to our list of all-time great album openers. Um, All Mirrors as kind of like the lead single is fantastic as well. Some of the songs towards the back, like that last track, um, Chance. Chance. Is gorgeous. I, I think the same of Endgame. Endgame um, too, which uh, coincidentally, Jake was a rejected Avengers Endgame theme song that oh, ended up on this album. I yeah. wondered about that. Yeah, no, it, it, it was not. Oh, was it? It was not. It was I, not. No, no, it wasn't. No, but I gotta say, <laughs> it wasn't. To be totally honest, I legitimately wondered about that <laughs> yeah. because. Of like songs like Skyfall and shit like that, like that's a real thing now. No, I know. Yeah, and like and like that happened with with Tom York yeah, and, and Radiohead true, I know, I with know. whatever that song was yeah. called. Yeah, as far as I know, that is not the case with this song. It'd be really funny if it was. It, it definitely would have been rejected too. So Angel Olsen um, is operating on a level that like not a lot of people are right now, and I, I think outside of even just like how beautiful the music is and how great this album is. The ideas that she's putting forth here about what it means to be human is really interesting. Um, I read a couple pieces or, or read a couple reviews about this. And, and there's this idea that is uh, kind of pervading the album around like the self mm. and how emotion sort of rules us in a way. And it kind of gets into this idea of like, well, what even is real in life? And it's like, well, emotion's real. So for more on what's even real in life, <laughs> check out the post show where Sean and I co like 
crumble under the pressure of modern like life. <laughs> but I, I, I think um, that idea is fascinating, and I think a lyric on like all mirrors, like at least at times it knew me, is really interesting because you could read that in a way about like yourself. Um, or about like emotion or about others. And, and that song is really about like the idea of all mirrors is we're all reflections of ourselves back to each other. And we use other people to reflect ourselves back to us. And this idea of at least at times it knew me is a way of saying like sometimes those reflections align, maybe other times it doesn't. I, I just, there's a lot to unpack here that I, I, you know, I need to do closer listens to some of these lyrics, but I, I love the idea she's putting forth here. Uh, I'm in the same boat where I feel like this is the last point I'll have really on this album because I feel like I still very much am in an unpacking mode yes. with it because it is so dense. It's yes. lush and there's a lot going on with it. It's long too. It's almost almost an hour, yeah. 10 minutes short or whatever. Um, I just think it's exciting that someone like Angel Olsen, she is an artist where it happens every so often throughout a decade or throughout time with musicians where one of them is given the chance like hey you have all the goodwill you could possibly have with listeners with critics with other musicians built up and you can use it to make like probably your best album ever yeah. it seems like she is one of the, the musicians who has taken that and been like yep here it is I'm swinging I'm, for the fences and yeah. like probably and killing it yes absolutely. Which, it's always exciting when you when you hear that album it is and like I felt Mitski like did it to an, Mitski an did it as well with Be the Cowboy I, I feel yeah, that that's a great that's a great comparison, and yeah, I I do think she kind of knew she had that, and it felt like it, and that's what I mentioned with kind of the press lead up and the promotion, felt like everyone knew. Oh, this is an important album, and yep. we need to treat it as such. Leading up, um, this next one that we're going to talk about, Jake, though Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Ghost Teen, this kind of had an opposite um, promotional rollout where. We knew it was coming. No one knew what it sounded like. I don't think there were any singles released from it. I don't think there was any real promotion done around it. It was kind of a mysterious album. Comes out on Friday. Um, I saved this one for one of the last ones that I listened to kind of on purpose because I, I figured it'd be kind of a heavy listen. It is, but oh my God, this album is a tour de for. This is a masterpiece. This is a master work. This takes the themes and ideas that Skeleton Tree was doing in 2016 and just like building on it and blowing it out. Like, this is a masterpiece. It really is. And I think a, sort of an interesting way that I've been thinking about it is if you look at the album cover for this, for this record, um, it's this gorgeous, like... Honestly, not even quite to my taste, kind of gorgeous. Yeah, like the, like over the top. The to the point where I think it is supposed to represent heaven. Or I something. would assume. I would assume and paradise. It's this yeah. Incredible um, landscape with animals and sunlight and mountains and flowers and trees. It's so bright and it's very unlike anything you'd associate with Nick Cave or like rock music or anything rem remotely like he's been associated with before and. The album like lives up to it. It has this absolutely eerily heavenly quality, and it, it just feels like from the moment it starts to the moment it ends, it's just like it's it is this confident sort of like masterstroke from an auteur musician where 
I mean, dude, there's parts on this album when, when every time Bright Horses starts. Oh my god, that song is. Oh my god, I I can't words can't describe that song. The second track, Bright Horses. Every time it starts, and there's that haunting, like falsetto vocal that, that starts. Out, I I honestly feel like I could cry I when crumble. I hear it. Crumble, yeah. It is like it, it's a very affecting musical <sighs> moment, and there's many like it. There are the album. Waiting for you, Sun Forest. Waiting like, for there's you. so many moments that you're just like, oh my god. And okay, so a few thoughts here. I I agree completely with that album cover. It's so. So different than what you expect, but it's also so spot on for like what this album's trying to do. Um, Ghost Teen apparently is the culmination of a trilogy for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds that started with Push the Sky Away um, back in, I think that came out in 2014. Um, so you'd Push the Sky Away, Skeleton Tree, and then Ghost Teen. And Skeleton Tree and Ghost Teen have taken on this other meaning after the death of Nick Cave's teenage son in 2015, where most of Skeleton Tree was completed, um, but a few songs still were yet to be written. And that album kind of took on this narrative of um, grief in the immediate aftermath of this devastating trauma. Do we know what happened? I think he fell from like a cliff or something. Like oh. he fell. And that's why some of the lyrics on Skeleton Tree, like you crash landed in a field uh, yeah. outside the Ritter, River Ada or whatever. Yeah, um, man. That song was completed before that happened, but the lyrics were so prescient. And that stuff's so eerie. And it's, it, it's kind of, that's sort of like a, a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot yeah, type of Ashes thing. Ashes of American Flags. With yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it completes this trilogy, but the trilogy has now taken on this different meaning after the death of his son. And I think Ghost Teen, I mean, it's right there in the title, Ghost Teen. Yeah. His son was a teenager. There's lots of references to kind of like specters and uh, ghosts and spirits and faith. And there's lots of imagery of Jesus in his mother's arms and and things like that and, and children dying and you know what faith means in the in the face of all of this and, and and things like that it's a heavy heavy listen and um achingly beautiful though the entire way through i, I i've been entranced every time i've listened to it i i feel the same way i felt when i listened to skeleton tree back in late 2016 Me too. Uh, right around uh you know the election time when, yeah. when that we talk about in the in the after show but I agree, and I feel like the 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 pain and the sadness is even more acutely drawn out on this album, and it's it's realized in a way that to me is more. I keep using the word lush, but this album really is. Yeah, and 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 just like, just absolutely gorgeously orchestrated this whole thing. Well, I, I think what's really interesting is some of these songs are incredibly sparse, and I, I think the review I read on on Pitchfork today. Um, made a great point that, like, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the band, like, they're a formidable rock band. But here, they're showing a lot of restraint, but also power in a different way of of that restraint, where it's just, like, they're creating this mood and this atmosphere that's, like, nothing else I've ever heard. Yeah, even agree. Skeleton Tree. Like, this is even a level different than Skeleton Tree, in my opinion. Exactly what I'm saying. It, 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 it takes, further goes into that world. It takes Skeleton Tree and hones it more. And I think the point you just made is so true. Like this, 
is taking that grieving process, is taking that trauma, and if Skeleton Tree, in hindsight, we can attach the narrative of the immediate aftermath of that and what that feels like, this is like trauma with some context. And it's like I'm living with this pain, and I've lived with it so long now. I've learned about it, and I've thought about all these different things, and I've learned lessons from it. I'm seeing beauty in it. Yeah. And realizing it as an artistic statement in a way that not only I can enjoy, but others can. Yes. That's a true gift to be able to do that. Nick Cave, also, man, i got to say, as a vocalist, there's no one... People, there's no one else who I could even imagine pulling off what he does. No. Except like David Bowie yeah. pulls off stuff sort of like this. Yeah. Where it's like a little talky and he Leonard uses, Cohen, maybe. Leonard Cohen also. It's in that vein where but but I feel like Nick Cave has a flavor of it that's very much yep. his own. Yep. And you can tell his voice in an instant. Like there's absolutely he does some really special, interesting, unique things. Um so apparently the first uh, I think it's eight songs on here, eight or nine songs are Up to Ghost Teen. Up to Ghost Teen. Up to Go Yeah, uh, so Leviathan is the last, last track. One. So this is technically a double album. Yep. And what's interesting is the last three tracks are the other piece of the double album and apparently these first eight songs are considered like the child and oh. the last three are considered the parent and i'm still trying to parse through like Whoa. what that represents and what that means i hadn't um, heard that that's very interesting because the, the the last three songs are pretty long um and and they are a little different tonally um, the song ghostine is is a is a stunner oh, haunting haunting it's, un- it's incredible in the song hollywood is um dark and foreboding and just uh, I, I I'm still unpacking a lot of my thoughts and feelings about this and I'm going to be listening to this for a long time to come but I think we got one of the albums of the year if not the decade here yeah. uh, in the in the late stages of the decade and I'm just so impressed by all of it you know what else the ghost teen album cover reminds me of just to return to that it just reminds, it reminds me of like a children's book yeah it reminds me of like yes. a really ornate not cartoony children's book. Yep. That would have had like really a pretty dense narrative for a kid's story. Yeah. It feels like one like the Rainbow Fish or like the one of those types of stories. Yeah, that's a really good point. Man, that's a really good point. This is an interesting just work of art in general. Oh, that it, is, it, is it, very it, worth listening to for anybody out there. Absolutely. Um yet another very, very good album that came out this past Friday, Jake. Dive's third record, Deceiver. Now, this is the follow-up to 2016's Is The Is Are. Um, it is Zachary Colesmith's first record while being clean, being sober, off heroin. Um, you know, it's right there in the title, Deceiver. I think that's how he probably looked at himself for a lot of those times. He had to come out and admit, like, yeah, look, Is The Is Are, I, I presented as kind of like my recovery sober album i wasn't during that time like he admitted to that he's like this one is i'm very dedicated to my sobriety um this album is great yeah man and it's it's a big it's actually a pretty noticeable tonal shift for them too in ways that i didn't fully realize until it's heavy it's heavy it's not really dreamy in the way you think of dive this this feels like a really good modern grunge album. And grunge is a word that I usually steer clear of because it's a weird genre word. 
But it feels like that. It's this dark, like... I, I immediately got my bloody Valentine Loveless yes. vibes. There's that wall of fuzz and sound on a lot of these songs yeah, that but they weren't doing on the last one. I, I agree. It's way less dreamy and shivery and pretty and more like beating you over the head with like weight. But but when with the, the elements of heaviness that it takes from my bloody Valentine, it gives up some of the ele- elements of bands like MBV that the other albums had, which is like, those albums were mired in like, it was hard to hear the lyrics sometimes. Yes. This album's very clear yes. and clean. And I think that, I mean, it, that makes sense. It almost is too perfect a parallel to sobriety yep. versus like, you know, drug using. But the lyrics on here are pretty clear. And I think he, it, it, I was reading some of the behind the lyrics about Horsehead, the first yeah, track on this. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's about um, like a nebula in the, in the stars. Wow. And it's about like, feeling secure in yourself, realizing the magnitude of everything, basically. Oh. And it has to do with that kind of stuff. Um, musically, it's very interesting, this album. And, like, the stuff they're doing on guitars, they, yeah. it seems like they're using some interesting tunings. And, like, I don't know, man. I, I, I've, I've been really into this also. So, I mean, this is a much different album than the Angel Olsen one or the Nick Cave one. This so is- different much more rooted in like traditional rock music. But I, I do think they're doing things that are taking a template that was established by bands like My Bloody Valentine. And they're taking a template that they have used with kind of the dream pop slash shoegaze thing. And they're they're injecting something a little bit different to it. And I think it's really interesting. They were on tour with uh, Death Heaven. Um, and... I'm sure it's not a coincidence that some of like that band's heaviness was it shows up here and was maybe a little bit of an influence on the final versions of these songs. Um, couple highlights here for me. I think Skin Game is excellent. Horsehead, the opener, I think is great too. Um, I've really taken a liking to uh, For the Guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, the drumming on that is very interesting and I think from a, a, at least a drumming standpoint, this is their most interesting that they've sounded. There's like these little fills or starts and stops or like little timing things that like are really satisfying, especially on that song. I think some of those go on in another one I want to highlight, which is Blankenship. Blankenship is a jam. I I, I think, yeah. I oh my God. Couldn't say it better. I, I, I was seeing some reactions on Reddit that people were like, this is Dive's best song. Blankenship. I disagree, but it's excellent. I also disagree. I think, but, but it kind of depends what kind of dive. That, you that's want. true. No, that's absolutely true. I personally like Skin Game better, even on this album. Skin Game is my favorite on here. I, I was an incredible first single that they put yeah. out, and I just think that that song still does it for me. Um, but Blankenship is is one I find stuck in my head all the time. Yeah. Um, with like the distorted sort of. Um, uh, dissonant guitar yeah. riffs that are going on there. They're and, like angular in a yes, way that is yes. like drawing on like almost like television almost. Yeah, I like, can see that. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 a really, really cool song. And then like the last track, uh Acheron is like super heavy. Um I really like Before You Were Born too. Yeah. Um I don't know. Like the album art on this is awesome too. Like this though, this album's going to get overlooked. People are gonna forget about this because it's another rock album, because it's a buzz band's third album, and it just feels like 
no one wants to talk about this, even though it's very deserving of praise. It has been by far their most overlooked album. With yeah. like, and it's not close at all. And it's sort of this sort of started to happen with Is the Azar, where like there was some press leading up to it. There was a little bit of buzz. It came out, and then it was completely forgotten about the rest of the year. And I think you and I have done a little revisionist history on Is the Azar, where it's like that album is actually awesome. Yeah. If that was trimmed by like three tracks, we're talking about it as like just as good as Ocean, maybe. Yeah. And I think this one's right in line. It's it's just different enough where they're building on their sound. The songwriting's still there. Like, why aren't more people talking about Dive or this album? It, it blows my mind. Like, yes, we just had a massive release. Like, a lot of people talking about Angel Olsen and Nick Cave, and they should be. But, like, if you like guitar-based music in any way, listen to this. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't even... I honestly have nothing else to add. There's nothing I could say better than that. It, it, I totally, totally agree with you. So, a couple quick ones here, Jake. Um, one that I have not even had enough time to fully dissect is this new Danny Brown record. You yeah. know what I'm saying. Um, the production on this is amazing. Yeah, it's crazy, too. This is doing things that Q-tip. no other rap album really does from a production standpoint. The way that these drums swirl together to create like this chaotic atmosphere matches Danny Brown's flow and lyrics and general vibe so, so well. I, I get a little bit afraid when I listen to Danny Brown rap and get a glimpse into his world. So, me too. But I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, and this is an interesting album too because I agree with what you said. This album does some different stuff too where it feels like he's peeled back some of the layer of darkness that he's had before. This album evidently was very influenced by comedy. Yeah, he said this is his comedy album. Yeah, and in parts of it are funny, and and um and some of the production reflects that where it's it's very bouncy. It's it's sort of very off the wall. Frenetic is sort of a way I yeah, describe this album. Yeah. Um, I agree though. I need more time to break into it. I've still only listened once because yeah. like I've been so taken with these other records. I'm at just one and a half. I yeah. listened to it again today, halfway through. Um. But there were legitimately songs where I was listening to, and at the end I was like, whoa, that yeah. was like so impressive, and I don't know that I've heard a song like that. Yeah, I, I agreed. And I remember that was the reaction when Dirty Laundry came out as a single. People listening yes. to it were like, oh, wow, this yeah. is crazy. Yep. And it feels like, in a way, Danny Brown kind of gets this, you know, and I'm not comparing Danny Brown and Dive. I'm not even trying to. I, I, the only connection I'm trying to make is that maybe we take both of them for granted, especially Danny Brown? Well, and there is another connection where I think this is one of this is like a cleaned up album from Danny Brown in some respects where like he got a haircut. Yeah. He is he fixed his teeth. Right. Which were all fucked up. And he is not it just is like a like the, even the album cover. It's brighter. It's yep. colorful. It's funny. It, yep. I was reading a piece earlier on it. I can't remember where I was reading this. They were talking about how it feels like a, a midlife album from him. Yeah. Where like... I mean, he's hitting 40, I he, think. I think so, he is yeah, 40, yeah. yeah. So yeah, more more to come on that Definitely one. more to come on Danny Brown. And then the last one that came out this past Friday was The Menzingers with Hello Exile. I finally got a chance to listen to this one yesterday. And um, it's interesting because I asked you what you had thought about it. Yeah. And you were like, it's exactly what you would expect from a Menzingers album. And... It is. Yeah, I think what I said, I think my literal response was, it's good. It's 100% exactly what you think it is. 
Which, which is true, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. I like that you can rely on the Menzingers to scratch that like emotive rock itch. Yep. But with that being said, and you you brought this up, it's so reliable, it's boring. It becomes a little formulaic. And I I, I had this thought, and I know you have a much deeper relationship with their earlier yeah, like, work than um, I do. I, like I, I have a true, I have a real affinity for After the Party and... Um, oh, I love After the Party. And On the Impossible Past. That album is like awesome, I think. But the theory that I was formulating, and it probably isn't true because it hasn't proven true for you, but maybe it's true for me, is that the Menzingers album you will love the most is just the first one you hear. I th- or the one when you're like younger. <laughs> like it's they- it's just the first one you get yep. into. Yep. Because listening to Hello Exile, I'm like, if this out al- it was the album that came ah, out that's such a good point. in 2016, I would have been just as all in yep. on it. I'd I, be singing. I had the same thought. Although, man, I don't know. There- but this is this is also nostalgia talking. But like some of the songs on on after the party are just so fucking good. But I mean, you know, I think this is a slightly updated version of that. Like America (parentheses you're freaking me out) is pretty indicative of some of the stuff that we just talked about. After, after this guy, show. he's like, you know, it's so funny too because like this the first song on after the party is what are we gonna do now that our twenties are over. And there's a line in America you're freaking me out about, like, being in my 30s now, and I don't know what to do. And it's like, all right, like... It's a running journal. Yeah. You get Anna. And, and, yeah, and Anna. Like, there's good songs on here. Menzinger's Bingo would be... Would, oh would include God. some of the following things. A chorus that includes the name of a city in it. Yes. On the East Coast. Probably Philadelphia. But also, like, you never know. There might be, like, <laughs> some New Jersey references. Yes, yes. Um, there's going to be talk about drinking. Lo- drinking, a lot of drinking talk. Like they're like pining for some sort of a, a woman where it never worked out. Yes, that kind of yes. thing. The, and like she is a little bit like she's troubled too. <laughs> yes, yes. She's gonna, and that's why they're perfect for each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, I I did enjoy this album when I listened to it. I I'm right in line with all the things that you were saying, and it made me sad though to realize that. A band like the Menzingers and songs like these resonate more when you're pre-25 than when you're post-25. And that bummed me out a little bit. Yeah, I I think I've been feeling that way about a lot of that stuff. Yeah. About like the modern baseball stuff and yeah. hotel year a little bit. Maybe less with them. Yeah. Um, but that phase of like the listening podcast yep. feels very much we're at that age. We're into this stuff. Um Again, this is a good album. It is. It's definitely good. There's good songs on it. If you like the Menzingers, there's no reason at all you shouldn't love this album. No, seriously. And, and like, honestly, and I brought this point up to you too, if this album came out in the middle of July when nothing else new was coming out, I guarantee you I have a more favorable reaction. Instead, it came out on a day where we got three or four of, like, the best albums of the year. And there's there's no... Sh- I'm not taking any shot at it. It's it's recorded beautifully. Yeah, it's it great. It sounds great. Their vocals sound really clear. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're pros, man. Yes. Like, the Menzingers are pros. And as was sort of, like, we noticed when we saw them live. Absolutely. And they had, like, the tightest setup. And they're, like, a setup. Just in terms of quality, like, they're the cut above other bands like this. They you just... Know? Yeah. But they're tight. Yeah. So, you know, it's enjoyable enough, but, like, you do need to be kind of in the mood for that. 
Um, so we haven't done a show in a few weeks, Jake. And before we get into our, our think piece discussion around that, excuse me, the Pitchfork um, 2010s list they put out, two other albums of note that came out over the last couple weeks. New Sturgill Simpson, Sound and Fury. This one flew way under the radar for us and I think just kind of generally. I like... Snuck up on me. Didn't even know it was coming out. And then the new Britney Howard album, Jamie. Um, I think both these are actually like incredibly solid albums. Um, I love how much on the Ryan Rossillo podcast they were yes. talking about Sturgill Simpson. Big shout to Ryan Rossillo um, and Chris Wong. It made me listen again last night. I was like, yep, this album rocks. Yeah. So um, I have listened to both these albums exactly once. Um my takes are as follows. One, Sturgill Simpson, I think it does rock. It reminds me of like a ZZ Top album yep. or like a kind of, uh, you know. You know what you're looking for is it sounds like Jackson Maine from A Star Is Born. That too. Um, and I like it, probably will never love it. I just can sort of tell. Yep. Um, the Britney Howard album, I just need another go at it. It's good. There's some like really, like honestly... This is not going to end up being one of my favorites of the year, just by circumstance, probably. But I was listening, and I was like, this is actually really good. It is. It is. And like, the stuff she's doing vocally is crazy. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah, and she, there's good songs. And she's established herself as a real force, oh, creatively. Yeah. Um, I just need more time with it. Sure. I know that, and honestly, barely remember it right now. Yeah, Totally. Um, so let's dive into the the think piece discussion here, Jake. Um, Pitchfork put out their long-awaited best songs and albums of the 2010s lists this week. Um, this is something that I've been dreaming about for the entire decade because I'm a slave to lists and uh, I'm a slave to Pitchfork in a way. Aren't we all? Even though like I have a lot of problems with them and I can recognize that they're biased in a lot of ways and we will end up talking about that, but... I wanted to get your overall thoughts here. Was it a positive reaction, negative, kind of in the middle? What what were you thinking with these? Um, so to go like take it a step probably too far back, like lists for me more than ever, I've become less reactive to. Me too. Than and I sort of ever have. That in a way makes me sad. I used to get more pleasure from looking at a list, and now I see them for what they are, and it makes me sad. Makes me a little bit sad, but it also I don't feel any of the anger I would have felt. Because but 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 with that, I don't feel any of like the excitement. I feel a little of the excitement just to see how like the top ten shakes out. And Jake, stuff. I don't feel anything. Anything. <laughs> more on that in the after show. That's right. Um, so. Here's the thing. I feel like they largely, from perspective of a top 10, top 20, got it just about right. Yeah. Roughly. I mean, Frank Ocean, Blonde at number one. Twisted Fantasy at two. That Beyonce self-titled album at three. Can't say I expected that. I really thought it was going to be Lemonade, which I don't think is on this list, is it? It is. It's like number 40, which I kind of loved that they dinged it a little bit. Yeah, so I was interested in that. I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, and then to Pimp a Butterfly 4, Fiona Apple being 5 I thought was a little bit higher than I expected. But all this to yeah, say... Yeah, higher than expected, but I think like weirdly deserved. People f- sleep on Idler Wheel. That, I, it's great. It's going to be high on my list. That song, that, that album bangs. Yeah, I, I have to listen to it more. Here's the thing. I, I sort of feel like it was what I expected. Like albums got snubbed that I would have liked to have seen. 
Um, but it had a top 10 and top 20 where like, I'm like, yep, this makes sense. Yeah. This makes sense too. Even if I don't love this, can't knock it. Like, yeah. Um, what were your takeaways? So my thoughts overall, when I, when I saw the, uh, the songs one come out or, or that I heard that they were even releasing these this week, um, I thought to myself, that seems weirdly early. And I think with Ghost Teen coming out and being like one of the best albums of the year, if not the decade, it's like, can we just wait like one more month maybe? I understand they don't want the overlap with their end of the year list, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Seems a little early, but I get it. The decade's pretty much done. Um, and they're trying to get a jump on it. Absolutely. I and get they're it. trying to be pitchfork, the taste making. Uh, absolutely. Get out in front of it all. Force. I get it. Um, I was struck by how much I actually thought the songs list was spot on. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. In, in, in the way that the list like this can be. Um, right. And then I was struck by, yes, the albums won hit on a lot of the notes I thought they would. But I think th- that was the most clearly political and revisionist history and they missed a lot of things that they praised earlier in the decade that it if you are a pitchfork reader or are familiar with them at all you'd be like well why is x y and z missing here because three years ago you told me this was one of the best albums ever well and the the truth of the matter with that is that there's been a massive shift in the focus of pitchfork and probably who's employed there? There's well, and there has, and it's it's been noticed by like I think I saw Ian Cohen, yeah, who is just one of the best music follows. He just because yeah. he gets it, he yeah. knows. What, you, what were his takes on this? Well, uh, so I, the, I didn't, I didn't see the one I saw was he was like talking about how people's reactions to it. He's like, of course, it's different than when Pitchfork was basically like a fantasy baseball league. <laughs> yeah, it's a group a, of people making that's, music that's a, lists. That's a great point. He's like, it's become. Uh, he didn't say this, but my interpretation of that is it's become more maximalist, yep. more pop forward. Yep. This year alone, they did this entire retrospective revisionist history on their Taylor Swift yeah, takes and reviews. That's a great point. Where they, gave, where they reviewed all her albums, gave all of them very positive reviews, including a nine for Red. And Red ends up, I think, in the top 50 here, or, or just outside of it. Which which feels like a part of, for this yes, list. feels it's, like a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, so keep, keep keep going. Sorry. Well, yeah. So overall, I you know I just said I didn't feel the level of excitement that I imagined I would reading this list three years ago, um, and that bummed me out a little bit. But I also wasn't left feeling overly disappointed because I think the reality is, Pitchfork doesn't matter as much anymore, and I think people see them for what they are, and I think lists in general, people also are smarter about them and see them for what they are. And I think that's an interesting discussion too. And the whole way to look at both of these is through the lens of like, what does Pitchfork want to achieve with this list? Yeah. Um, because like I said, does this, or, or this is an interesting question. Does it accurately represent the decade or does it more accurately re- represent Pitchfork and what they want to present themselves as? Or... In another way, any list like this, can it represent the decade or does it represent what the decade looks like to people living at the end of the decade? Yeah. And and, would we be better served doing this in five years? Yes. You would. Yeah. 
You'd, okay. be, you'd be best served doing this in 2030. Yeah, you're probably and being right. like, all right, what were the albums of the 2010? That's a great point. Now I can look at it with retrospect. That's a great point. And there's a, a historical remove from all of these moments. There's a historical remove from all of these years. And I can look at it with some level of objectivity. But the problem is, man, with these lists that, that, that it just doesn't go away for me is like it is subjective no matter yeah. what. And I think that that's understood. And like all our discussions going forward about even our lists – have to have that as, oh, just an, as like that's like the biggest the asterisk. asterisk is this is my list this yeah. is these are my favorites not what i think is even objectively the best and i was talking to people at work about this we were talking about the pitchfork list and we ended up having this discussion about like well what even is the criteria for this list because you can have a, a truly groundbreaking and sort of experimental album in like The Money Store by Death Grips. And that is being compared to a pop album like Red by Taylor Swift. Like, how can you even compare those two things yeah. for, for a multitude of reasons? And I guess that's the problem too with lists like this is like, we're not sure what the criteria is. All we know is that it's it's a big group of people and critics who like vote on it, or or and there's been polls going back months, and it's taken a long time. Um, and I feel like that's reflected. I guess what happens too to me is like when I think about an album got, that got snubbed, like we we're we're gonna talk about Benji. There's no avoiding Benji. How can that not be on here by other, Sun Kill Moon? Other than the fact that Mark Kozelik has, I, I think, made disparaging comments about Pitchfork. Well, and so I see that and I think about like what I always do in my mind is I go to like number 200 or 99 and I'm like, how could this uh, or 198, like this Jean Grey, Quell Chris album like that I've never heard of personally. Right. How could that make it on? And this Sun Kill Moon album does. But the inherent flaw in that is like someone who loves this album. Yeah. If the Sun Kill Moon album made it, they could be making the same argument. That's a great point. Um, and my reaction is always to the albums I've never heard, and I realized that while I was looking through, I was like, I've never heard of this. But How even, but even take one that you've heard, sure. you can easily take one that you even not only that you've heard, but that you really like, and you can objectively say, Benji's a better album. It's more of an achievement. Um, so what, this what, little peep record, maybe, yeah, probably. like and like, look, that feels so like it's 2019. Lil Peep di- just died but last he, year. Like we're trying to say something, but again, it it also comes down to, like you're saying, what Pitchfork is trying to say about the decade. Yeah, and is it more important that the guy from Red House Painters, who had like probably 10,000 people listen to his record? is represented on the 2010s list or that Lil Peep falls in there somewhere because he was this sort of icon of the like sort of mumble rap yeah Xanax rap yeah. era to be fair way more than 10,000 people have listened to Benji I know but I, but the point remains I'm just making a larger point I, I, I do Lil understand Lil Peep's more popular that. than Sun Kill Moon um, what were some other big snubs that you noticed here, Jake? I, I thought one that was interesting was James Blake. A lot of people were like, how did his self-titled album not make this? I thought the same thing. Like, even if... That, that, that probably won't make my list, but like... Because it got a nine-something. James Blake has been a pitchfork darling up until the moment he made comments about, like, the way pitchfork, like, covers gender or something like that. And then he was canceled. So, dude, it's again that album came out what 2010, 2011? Yeah, it's about the way Pitchfork sees music and itself 
now in 2019, yeah. not about the way they saw themselves in 2010. I, I, I think another interesting couple are Pine Grove. Not that they were ever like all on board with them, but like just given some of the circumstances with them, um, not including them anywhere. And then also Swans. Like, yeah, they were so all about the seer and to be kind. But again, a couple albums where there's, depending on your perspective, problematic stuff going on there. I know right. there is with Michael Gira. Right. And there is right. with Evan Stevens Hall. You know, again, don't know how much credence there is to either of those stories. We well, don't have it, to get it, into that it, here. It does feel like, oh, we're going to cancel certain artists, you know? And like, they're not going to be represented by our list for this decade, even though the work that those artists put out should be... If you're, if you're just making a list about the best music, those need to be on it. Here's an interesting one for you. Um, and this is a personal thing. So the Church's album, The Bones of What You Believe, yeah. is on here. Yeah, I personally really like that album. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's I, good. And it's I, good. And it's I good like enough. Church's. Um, I would have liked to have seen that first Purity Ring record get on here uh, when compared to that. That first Purity Ring record is much better than anything uh, Churches has put out. And that might be sacrilege to some people, but it's true. Or at least I find it more interesting. Yes. Um, I also thought it was interesting. Um, only one national album ranked yeah. here. And it was High Violet and it was pretty low. Um, I, 140? I, it was like 140 or something. I fully expected to see Trouble Will Find Me higher on the list. There was only one. Now, and, and I get it. Look, the old white dad rock band isn't going to make a lot of noise on the Pitchfork twenty uh, end of the decade list. I get it. Um, but I thought that was a little strange. Um, no Tallest Man on Earth. I, I think we are more... Uh, I felt like The Wild Hunt could have snuck The on. Wild Hunt definitely could have gotten on there. I, I did like to see that that uh, Bonnie Vare's second record ranked pretty highly on Very there. Very high. Um, you and else was... We got to talk about this. What else was really high? Modern Vampires of the City came in at number seven. Wow. Overall. I, you know, I, 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 I can see it. I can. I definitely get it. But I was very surprised. Yeah. And like, and yeah. like, I don't even think it'll be that high on my personal no, list. No, oh, it won't be on mine. It won't be in my top ten. No, no. And, and Modern Vampires of the City is a more important album to me than it is to probably a lot of people who made these That's lists, a great point. Which is what is so interesting to me. Uh, and I thought it was funny or interesting on the songs list. Hannah Hunt was the a very high-ranking Vampire Weekend track. Yeah, I mean that that album was big. Man, it's so interesting to look back at the decade in aggregate too, because that that's an early decade album. It now. is, isn't that crazy? A um, couple other thoughts here. No King of Limbs by Radiohead, which you know I can't say I'm surprised by, but like honestly, even a, a lesser Radiohead album is better than most artists' best album. Yeah, um, they did have a Moon Shape Pool on there, which is great, but. Um, I did like to see how high uh, Drake Take Care was on this list. However... I knew you'd be pumped. Um, what was it? Three total albums from Drake? It was Take Care... If you're reading if you're this, reading this And Nothing Was the Same, I think, as well. Did that end up on here as well? I think so. I think it did, yeah. So a lot of Drake representation, not totally a surprise. Here's another one for you, Sean. Another interesting one. Yeah. Coming in at 167, Sandy Alex G. With, with, with not, not with Rocket, not with House of Sugar... And, and spoiler alert, those albums are not on this list. No. But what is is DSU. I couldn't believe this. This is maybe the wildest piece of this list. 
crazy. Have you listened to that album in full? No, I have not. I have not. I've listened to uh, the Beach Songs album or whatever. Have beach you, music. Have you listened to um, Tr- Trick? No. Very good. I'm, sure, to I'm Trick. sure it's great. And I will be listening to, to this other one as well. But I, I, cu- I couldn't believe that, Jake. Have you listened to the Beach one, Beach music? No, I have not. Whatever it's called, I, have I forget. Not. I need to check that out. Um, I, I did like that Celebration Rock made it on here, albeit it was pretty low. No Dive. I think Ocean could have easily snuck on here. I would have liked to have seen No Ocean. Cloud Nothings uh, represented on the album's list. They they did make it onto the songs list, which was uh, nice. Dude, your boys, 21 Savage and Metro Boomin'. So that album... Coming in at 155. He's very good. And it's only like 30 minutes long. Highly recommend listening to check that. It out. that. That album is great. Um... I was pleased to see Arctic Monkeys with AM ranking highly on here too. I know you're a little bit lower on that album. No, than no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I won't be, I won't be painted in that light. <laughs> I wait. Isn't this true though? Isn't no, that just true? In in the scope of their discography, in terms of what I would like to listen to most of the time, that ranks lower. Okay. I it's an incredible album. Okay. I loved it when it came out. Fair and enough. It's very important to me. It's not. I don't dislike AM. I, um, I don't know how much you give a shit about this. Yeah. I, I was personally excited that they put the fame monster on here by Lady Gaga. So, okay. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. That album came out in 2009. It's, they said in their thing, they're like a few notes about our end of the decade list. We labored over it, blah, blah, blah. There were some albums that came out in late 2009 that we thought had such an influence they deserved to be on this list. No, it didn't come out this decade. Fuck off. I don't care how influential it was. If we're saying that, then we should be saying that, like, uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion should be on here. That's Fucking uh, that, name that, a 2009 album. I think a lot of what they're saying, though, is that all the songs that were big yeah. became big in 2010. Fine, okay, but still, I know fuck what that. you're saying. I'm a stickler saying. for that. Yeah, it's like. It's I get it. The decade, man. Like, come on. It's ultimately all arbitrary, though. I I, I do know that. Um, I did love that "Never Hung Over Again" by Joyce Manor ended up on see here. It's, um, some love for the hotel year. Home like no place is there. Uh, ended up on on here. You know what was interesting though that I was kind of disappointed by. Um, uh, in my opinion, the best Saint Vincent album, her self titled, didn't rank. You know, look, Strange Mercy, great album. It's not as good as St. Vincent is. And uh, so that was the thing is like, I, I thought there were weird picks. The Alex G one being an example, the St. Vincent one being an example. Sunbathing Animal being the Parquet Yeah, course. like, no, Wide Awake is much better. They, and they didn't put that the other one even before Wide Awake on it, did they? Uh, no. Which no. I also like better. Than. Yeah, same. Uh, so I thought that was kind of weird. Um,. Sean, I know you personally... They picked the wrong Julia Holter album. Uh, oh, hold on, though. I, I know you personally must have been very excited to see Mac DeMarco make the list with, with look, two. 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 If they're going to pick one, it has to be two. I actually kind of like two. It's fine. It's good. It's fine. I'm fine with that pick. Big fan of Mac DeMarco, Sean is. Uh <laughs> The biggest. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe they didn't have Have You in My Wilderness by Julia Holter, but they had uh, her last one, which is... Aviary. Aviary, which is great, but like Have You in My Wilderness is the one. And then uh, another favorite of mine, Juliana Barwick, they had The Magic Place, which is great, but I think Nepenthe is the superior uh, Barwick album. Well, but this is, what, this is part of what I'm saying is like we... We've talked for now 10 minutes about quibbles we have with they the... They picked the wrong Frankie Cosmos record. Sure, but like... 
No I, skeleton tree? What? Like what? I know, and it's too late to rank Ghostine. <sighs> no, yeah, I, I don't know, man. So like, but it's like you they, might they, think they 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 put burn your fire for no witness by Angel Olsen. They don't have my woman, or they don't have all mirrors. Like th- those are her two objectively better ones, as good as burn your fire is. Um, but what's objective? That's the problem. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. That's great the point. problem with these lists, man. Is like we, like yeah, we can sit here and we can be like yeah, it should be this one by this artist, <laughs> yeah. but that's all based on our take. That's and a I, good point. I I, I agree it's with fair. you though on almost all of the things you just said. No Brockhampton anywhere. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, and I feel like Pitchfork has always kind of been uh, negative on Brockhampton. Um, again, feels like kind of a narrative thing. So yeah, I don't know. Just. Um, some picks that I didn't totally, totally agree with. How about uh, no crack no gunna, up? No little baby. Uh, yes, yeah. No crack up is crazy to me. Helplessness Blues made it. It did, which is um, nice. Ooh, you know what I did that I, I want to do again, and we should actually like talk about maybe on the next episode. Yeah. I don't know if you did this. What's this? I did command finds for parentheses two o one, and then I typed in zero, like to get to find out how many from each year. Basically. Yes, um, yes, yes. Twenty fourteen was surprisingly heavily represented. It's interesting because we've always said that has been a weaker year. Lower. But I think there's a bit of a revisionist history there, even among us, where we're like, well actually These there was great records there that we didn't listen to in that year. Yeah, so it was interesting. I think twenty eighteen had the least I think twenty eighteen is gonna go down as maybe one of the worst years for this decade. It was good for us. Yeah, but like I think we even said last year, like it was a little weaker. But again, that feels like the ultimate. Like if you're making a list, 2018 would shine in 2023 more than that's it does in 2019. Good, I know, I know. That's such if a you good made point. a list from 2013 to 2023, yeah. 2018 would probably have fucking 60 entries. That's that's a really on the good list because it's right in the middle. It's a really because 2014, point. 2015, come I know, smelling I, like a rose yeah, on know, this it's list. True. It's true. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, very, very interesting. I'm sure we'll... Amen Dunes. Hey, Amen Dunes, uh, making some noise Freedom. there. Um, so we'll be making our lists, Jake, and I think yeah, we're going to we plan will. to do that maybe towards the end of November before yep. we do our end of the year ones. I'm going to, I'm going to make a vow to start in the next two weeks. I have started, yep. uh, with both. Because so. I have to, I, yeah. I have got to. Yeah. And um, I notoriously put it off more than you it's, do. It's uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And I would like for it to be fun this year. It will be, and not a great stressor. It'll because be because I'm doing it in the last two days. It'll be fun. Okay. It'll be fun. No, I, I know it will. Uh, you had a recommendation of the week for us here, Jake. Yeah. Uh, so September 26th, I believe it was, was the 50th anniversary of the release of the Beatles' final studio album. R- really, their final studio album, the last one they made together, um, Abbey Road. Uh, and um, like they did with Sgt. Pepper, like they did with the White Album, they put out a commemorative 50th anniversary super deluxe edition, much of which, I don't think all of it, but much of it was released on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I gave it a listen. Uh, I think the remastered tracks sound really good. Abbey Road, I think, as an album in general by the Beatles, is like their best sounding anyways. But the the new mixes sound definitely bigger. We were listening to them a little bit before this, and I think you were saying that yeah. stuff sounds Crisper, definitely louder. Sounds like there's more space in the mix, weirdly, if that even makes sense. Yeah, it's given me some new appreciation for songs like Come Together and I Want You She's So Heavy and stuff like that. Um, But on the second, like, disc of this, there's uh, some outtakes and, like, in earlier takes where songs are a little less polished. Some, I think some of the most beautiful stuff on there is George Martin's string Mm -hmm. arrangements 
for something and for the Golden Slumbers Carry That Weight the yeah. end trio of songs or really just Golden Slumbers and, and Carry That Weight because the end doesn't have any strings or it might actually near the end regardless um, it's really interesting to hear earlier versions of the songs and uh, on something in particular man the strings on that are powerful oh, yeah. and like it, imagine hearing the song without them because right. hearing them alone makes you realize how much those parts have have made that song better and like the absolute gem of like 20th century music making yeah. that it is because something's a real oh treasure yes it is it is um, so anyways yeah definitely give it a listen if you're a Beatles fan which absolutely. I'm sure many of you are absolutely yeah um, and then to wrap up here Jake release radar for October 11th 2019 I have one for you. It is the second Big Thief album of the year mm-hmm. called Two Hands, and we are going to see Big Thief the very next day in Burlington, Vermont, which I'm very excited for. This is going to be great. I, I, I'm going to be listening to that album on the way. We're going to go see that. Like I, I'm excited for this show in a way I haven't been for a show in a, in a while because this feels like a band that we're seeing at the right time. Uh, in the right context, like I, I'm excited. We're also, and I we should do a show and tell for this one because we're yes. doing something that I've never done for a show where we are like going on a trip around yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. We're like we're staying in Burlington for a couple we've, we've days. We've done it with like Newport Folk Fest and Boston true, Calling, true. but this is a little bit different, different vibe. Yeah, yeah. So this is gonna be interesting. I'm very well, much looking no, forward to this. No, we did it uh, for the national in Brooklyn. That's true. Years back. So, so take back everything I said. That's right. That's right. Null and void. Uh, stick around for a, uh, a rousing after show with the boys. Um, and if you survive that, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right. We are on. With a yawn. On with a yawn. On with Sean. The name of Gunna's new album. <laughs> Five out of ten. Joke. You know, we're going to talk about the Pitchfork list a little bit later. Jake, mm. one of the biggest snubs hmm. is no representation from Dripper. Gunna or Lil Baby. I thought Gunna, especially Gunna, yeah. was was going to be on the list. <laughs> I Huge, huge disappointment there. Big, 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 big uh, snub. So... A couple pre-show things I wanted to hit on. Something that has really been weighing on me lately, Jake. Mm. Well, first of all, back in the great city of New Hampshire. Um, Welcome back. I'll save that for the the start of the actual We thought we wouldn't episode. see you anymore. I know. Hey. I do. <laughs> From now on, I take on the form of passive-aggressive mom. You know, we don't see you much. But I do it on the on behalf of New Hampshire. You know what's funny is like that's my mom right now. There you go, man. That's my mom. There you go. She go like whenever I like answer a text or answer a phone call, she's like, "Oh, you answered." It's like, yeah. I mean, like, like, oh, this is a great way to feel every time you. Yeah, and like, yeah, because you're such a joy to fucking talk to. Um, She big time listener. Yeah, big big fan of the pod. Um, (laughs) All right, (laughs) so this impeachment stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Do Do you? do you think she has listened to the pod? Yeah, yeah, my parents have listened, okay, but like okay. they're not regular listeners. No, neither are my parents. Yeah, it'd be funny if they actually were and they just didn't tell me. They're and furrowing their brows at home right hmm, now. Hmm, hmm. Hmm. I know all their takes on Sturgill Simpson from past years. <laughs> it was necessary context for tonight. <laughs> let's let's see if this one adds up. Uh, okay, all this impeachment stuff has really been bothering me, um, and <laughs> let me say. 
the way I described these next few bullet points we're going to talk about is the world slash America is potentially ending. Now, now that seems hyperbolic. That seems like it's over the top. Seems like an an exaggeration. It's not. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem that hyperbolic. Because uh, on the one hand, you have a crooked, like, insane man in the White House. Yeah. um, Who's shaking down other countries for political favors and seemingly making foreign policy decisions to only line his own pockets or to, like, save his hotel chains mm-hmm. um you know you have this whole syria turkey thing where we, we're abandoning our kurdish allies uh that republicans have actually spoken out against big shock there you have the whole impeachment thing happening you have all of the misinformation disinformation spin going on from fox news from other republicans from trump himself um, we're truly in unprecedented, uncharted territory with this. And that's terrifying. And, and I think what you can always kind of hang your hat on is like, oh, America's been through a lot before. It's like, well, not like this. Not where like we are just kind of allowing someone to be like, nope, I'm not following any laws. And the president's <laughs> above any investigation at any time ever. Well, I mean, he does mirror some of what happened with Nixon, though. But... In, in in ways that are, I think, a little less alarming. But there was a point where Nixon fired his entire cabinet because, like, they could have been... Or, like, much yeah. of his... Like, there was some weird shit with that. I agree with you, though. I think if you layer in the social media age, the, um, the amount of, like, proliferation of information that just isn't true. Mm-hmm. Like, these crazy conspiracy theories that, that, that come up, like... You have Republican senators going on talk shows and banging this drum about, like, Peter struck text messages in the 2016 election. It's like, stop. Stop with that. And finally, some of these hosts are being like, none of this is true. So I don't know anything about that. My part. dad will talk to me about Peter Strzok and, and the and the... Is it like Seth Rich? The, yeah, and like the Pfizer warrants. And, and like, and he's like, Sean, this is all... Sw- this is literally what he said. Because okay, I've taken okay, it upon okay. myself to start texting my family group chat articles mm-hmm. about the crazy shit Trump is doing because they're not going to hear about it otherwise, which blows my mind. My dad has the audacity to respond back and say, Sean, this is all uh, this is all a smokescreen by the Democrats who are going to go to jail for, the, for corruption. I, and I, all I could say was, that's not true. Stop listening to Fox News spin. He believes that. And not just him. It'd be alarming enough if just my dad thought that. Like 40% of the country thinks that, Jake. That's what we're up against. We're up against basically a state-run media organization feeding propaganda and spin to people who don't really know any better. And the genius of this is... They think that's the only place that's telling them the truth. That's the genius. It actually is crazy that... I mean, because that, that, that to me, it feels very much like a faith system. Where yep. if you... It's easy to believe it. And everything about it, you know, sort of supports it. Everything that they say supports this. It's, it's news of affirmation. We've yes. said it many times before. Yes. It's kind of like a religion where... 
you know, no matter what way the sermon goes today, yep. it's going to spin back to like, hey, still believe all this stuff. You yep. still, it actually is kind of sad. Um, I have never felt personally less engaged with the political system and like politics um, just because of like sheer disillusionment. Well, I think that is also part of the plan is like let's yeah. get enough people not paying attention or not caring or throwing their hands up and saying they're all corrupt when in reality well i let me amend what i said i don't mean that I, but that, that is, is a lot of people and it is also like to an extent true yeah i don't think they are all equally corrupt no they're not but that is the game that trump and his cronies are playing is well what about blah 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 the what about ism is the only thing they have to hang their hat on because their whole thing is like, well, we know we're bad. We don't want others to know it. We're just going to say everyone's bad and muddy the waters. It really is a bad time. And and the way that he has used Twitter to, to like... Because if you look at his tweets, man, if you look at... Dude, they're unhinged. The stuff he's saying, and the, without a doubt, every time it's like 65... <laughs> thousand likes or million likes right how many likes would it be it's like it's incredible and his supporters are some of them unwavering oh i know it's like it is like a cult it is and um it's dangerous it's truly dangerous because okay what do i want to happen i want him to be removed from office as soon as possible me too what i've started to worry about is like violence as a result of this because these idiots are so convinced That it's a coup or a plot against Republicans or that the evil Democrats are trying to nullify free elections. It's like, do you fucking morons not realize that you were played by Russia and this guy who only wants to line his pockets? Like, it seems obvious, but it's clearly not. It's not because because the two-party system is blinding. It honestly is. And, like, that's why – that's part of the reason why – like, I, I'm still liberal – liberal Lou. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In all – on all counts. Yeah. But I am trying to, like, broaden my horizon a little bit to be – like, to remove myself a little bit from being entrenched in the two-party yeah. system yeah. as much as I had been. Yeah. And does that mean I'm voting Trump in 2020? Yes. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. It's just, like – I because I was raised – the thing is, is, like, I was raised in a family of Democrats – and like Democrats, am I right? Sure. And growing up, I I really felt that because I'm raised that way as a kid. I just yeah. thought that was just right, yeah. and that Republicans are like enemies. Yeah. Turns out <laughs> they are. That is like partially true. Well, it's, but it's there are many corrupt Democrats. I too. I my family was Republican. They always looked at Democrats as that way, as the enemy. Right. And it took me getting a little bit older and. You know, figuring out what I'm all about and what you know this party's actually all mm-hmm. about to be like, oh no, no, like that's not right at all. Um, so, uh, I yes, I, I I know what you're saying. The two party system, we're all entrenched. That's absolutely true. It's kind of the best we have right now. But honestly, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't feel good about any of this. It weighs on me. And hey, maybe I'm taking it too seriously or I'm worried too much about it and I need to chill out, man, or whatever. Uh, but, like, something feels wrong here in a pretty big way. Um, 
and there's nothing we can do about it except for, oh, you got to go out and vote. But it's like, well, the our elections have now been called into question. Trump is our president and he didn't win the popular vote. And like the Republicans gerrymander the fuck out of things on top of having like proven Russian and foreign interference. So like, yeah, why is there any guarantee? And they're trying to do it again openly. Yeah, well, yeah. And not all of us are up in arms. We're like, ah, that sucks. Or other people are like, no. Get out to the polls. People are like, like the most we can say is like, ah, this seems kind of fucked up. Whereas the other side, the fact that there's even an other side with this blows my mind. They're like, no, that's not happening. In fact, it's the other side that is like wrong. I'm afraid. Yeah. Full stop. I am afraid for the future of this country. Um, I don't even know that this impeachment, like, be- this is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, it, it does feel and that way. It's already pretty fucking bad. Well, and that, that's been the story of the entire presidency and the election. And, like, you know, since 2016, even 2015, when you started campaigning or whatever the fuck that was, that's been the story of this whole thing. And um, it does serve to, I, I mean, I know for a fact, I'm f- going to be fascinated to read about, like, in 45, 50 years, even 25, 30 yeah. years, the psychological effects that an, uh, uh, that a political era and an era of leadership like this have had on a young, impressionable generation like ours. Dude. If, and, and, because, because it feels like it has an effect on older generations, but that it seems like that's less profound. It does seem that way. And... I think mental health issues already run rampant and was bad enough. And adding this on over the last few years, it's a fucking cloud that hangs over almost everyone you talk to or any discourse online, any discussion, any fucking podcast we listen to is all through this lens of like this Trump era. Mm -hmm. It's palpable. You can almost taste it. And we live in this era of like, I think a lot about like I saw this article or actually it was a headline attached to to a meme <laughs> so in the year 2019 basically a well-sourced article is what you read the, the head, i did go to the article okay. and read the headline again okay. but the headline was why is millennial humor so weird oh i read that too yeah the meme it was attached to was this like this this picture of this like metallic badly rendered like computer graphics bud light man <laughs> Yeah. And it said, yeah. this man dispenses the crispy. Compared to him, you are nothing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's, dude, I like pictured your brother saying that while we're playing like D&D. He with, liked it. With no context. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like something he says. Yes. Or would say. Anyways... All of that weirdly ties into this shit for me because, yeah. man, I I can't be the only one who really struggles with how reality feels right now. No, dude. No, you, you're not. It I, is I beyond, do on a daily basis right now. Beyond comprehension. Yeah. I mean, like we have a president who his main MO is to call into question and deny fact yeah and 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 wage war on yep. truth yeah and the concept of truth yes 
and take truth and make it a thing that is malleable in yeah. ways that it is not. Yes. What preaching to the choir, you're so spot on. And we are in an era where people some people the 40% or whatever the yeah. fuck that you've t- the less people that voted for him yeah. in the popular vote. <laughs> right. Buy that shit. They do. And they do. Willingly. Yes. Cuz they're also willing to bend the truth. Yes. Yes. Trump I mean Trump is 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 the kind of liar that I mean, I think he believes his shit. I really do. I do too. I, I, I he believes I, it in the same way that people watch Fox News believe it. Because I've I've met, sadly, and know people who are liars on this scale. Yeah. And you can tell that it's just it's been a pattern that yep. has rooted a it's rooted a path in their brain, a pathway. Yep. Something's fucked up in the pathways. Yep. It's like when we watched that explained episode yes. about psychedelics and how it, it can reroute pathways. Reroute pathways. And, yeah. um, yeah. There's something in the brain of someone who is this pathological liar, where they, where the the childhood relationship of I lie, what I say is not as bad as what I did, I don't get in trouble, turns into a super highway of neurons, and tur- right, and turns into I lie, everything's okay, and yeah. people believe me because yeah. X, Y, and Z. Holy shit. And I really think he believes it. I do too. I do too. And it's fucked up. It's a it's a bad place to be. I'm I'm very scared. And it'd be one thing if this were just America where this was happening right now. But like the UK is facing something similar right now with the whole Brexit thing, and that that's a Boris Johnson. Show. Boris Johnson's a UK Trump. Then you you have all this stuff that's still going on in the Middle East. You have Trump. Uh, rolling over and abandoning our allies there. And then if you go to the literal other side of the world, you have millions of people in Hong Kong who have been protesting the authoritarian regime of a communist dictatorship in China for six months now, at least. That has been, I don't want to say ignored by the West. It's picked up traction. And you know why? Because of this NBA story that has just come out. People are finally like, oh, what's this Hong Kong thing? Dude, it blows my mind. The people who are like, you know, I heard rumblings about this. I didn't really pay attention to it until this NBA thing happens. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's a humanitarian crisis that's happening on the other side of the world. Can you just quickly, because in the Bill Simmons podcast, he would not just explain what actually happened. What did Daryl Morey say? All he said is... Uh, like uh, fight for freedom, like stand with the people of Hong Kong. Oh, whoa! Which was like a vi- like a it's like, hey, I agree with that. Yeah, I actually think then, and maybe again, maybe I don't know all the facts. I actually think then that that having a take that's just like Simmons kind of did, where he's like, hey, like this pissed off Chinese people. It's like, well, yeah, that's true, but like, I don't know that it actually pissed off Chinese. people people i think you, he pissed but, off the chinese government well the government but also he was like the people look at it a different way he's like saying that thing do they i i, I don't know maybe maybe they do but i truly like, don't know though because there's so much again maybe we're headed this way disinformation from the government and what they say goes and they're looking at shutting out the nba now from china which is one of their biggest markets that they wanted to grow into and I don't know. It's putting money over uh, values or morals. And I think I'm pretty disappointed in like the lukewarm reaction from a lot of the NBA or from 
pundits who are worried about what this will mean if they speak out about it. Like, China, their, their censorship has now, in a way, spread to America in a lot of ways. Where, right. like, ESPN, they had an internal memo that said, you're forbidden to speak about the NBA China situation. And you have these people who are like, James Harden was being interviewed and he was like, we, we love China. We, we love the people. We love China. It's just like, whoa. Yeah. Like, that's what the right. fuck? Like, these are very salient points. You're coming, you're coming in hot today, Sean. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And I and like, we're letting this happen. Cause we're like, well, it's too big of an issue for us to do anything about. And uh, honestly, ESPN, by the way, is a lost cause. F- fuck them. Like, honestly, like I, I don't, I'm not looking for ESPN to be, the backbone uh, or like to, to put up like any sort of moral fight on this. I'm he, not surprised. ESPN is Disney sports. That's all they are. And well, cause I think they tried a little while ago to, to inject some politics and a lot of people were like, give me, just give me sports or whatever. But it's like, this is a sports story. I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I do think like China, well, but, but, but they lucratively benefit from the Chinese NBA deal too. They do. ESPN. I mean, they're, but, they're oh, lining oh, their own pockets with whatever uh, oh, TV absolutely. connections absolutely. they have there. And, you it's know, a big circle jerk. It, it is. It is. And part of this story, too, it, it Trump in the trade talks with China, because we're in a big trade war with them right now against probably uh, anyone's better judgment. The, and that he is waged in, like, all the wrong ways. It, exactly. And our economy is hurting because of that. Um he said, I'll keep quiet about this Hong Kong thing if, like, we can keep making progress on our, our trade talks. So it's like this, uh, you know, that doesn't surprise me any one bit that he would sell out, you know, these people facing a humanitarian crisis. Um, but, like, what the fuck is going on where money, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, and it's naive to think otherwise, money runs everything, obviously, but it's, it's, and maybe this is just being an adult and having your eyes open to this stuff, but it feels like it's never been more out in the open and shoved in everyone's face and to a point where it's like, you, you can't do anything about this. We're just going to do this all out in the open. Try and stop me. You can't because I'm more powerful and like truth doesn't matter anymore. That is why the, what you're talking about has long been, well, or for a while now, been the reason why I don't put much stock in like any real Illuminati or kind of conspiracy theories, because the truth is, is like it, like you're saying, it just happens. It in just the open. exists. Just yeah. look around yes. at like facts that come down. There's no grand conspiracy to hide it. The people that are doing it are doing it boldly, yeah, openly, yep. And just and they no, they can't really get caught. Yep. And if they any, do, they'll say no, that's not true. Fake news. Exactly. Like what? What what does truth mean anymore? What is it what's the value? There is none. Truth doesn't exist anymore. And I think that is Cuz you just make a fucking Facebook ad that says otherwise. And that is the I think the what I was saying before about Trump's waging war on truth. I think that is truly the scariest and most disillusioning part of anything to do with his presidency because and this all relates back to like the the strange millennial humor. Yep. I mean, think about the shit. Like Tim and Eric are an example of like a little ahead of their time yeah, in this way. Yep. Humor has trended toward their shit yes, and toward has. the kind of like very absurd. So much so that commercials that sell us products are now leveraging that humor to to sell things. Man, and like, uh, 
So I'm I'm upset for all sorts of different reasons regarding all of this stuff. I, it's I've, overwhelming. I, I I've. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any faith that it's going to get better because I think even, let's say, we remove Trump, the rest of the Republicans in the Senate grow a backbone and do something about this and put country over party or put country over re-election, whatever, they do the right thing. How much damage has been done and what precedent has been set for the future where this same playbook can be used over and over again by either another candidate or these foreign powers know hey it's actually not that hard to influence an american election yeah uh so yeah i to, i think it's really really bad and i also just had the thought or i was just thinking about like man if he loses the election i could see a very real possibility of him being like no this is all this is fake news like my followers you have to believe me this is fake. We're all the American people are being duped. Like this Democrat did not win. I am still. I'm. I'm president. I am the president. Don't worry. This is fake news. I, I am. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. That's why. That's like why I'm so scared. And he'd be like, take up arms and defend me. You know, all these fucking crazies have guns. Like, what? Man, that that. Yeah. I would like to think that won't happen. I, it, how crazy is it that it could? It, pretty crazy. And it, but it's also crazy that it's not that insane if it right. happened. Right. Because I, the, no matter what happens with the election, if he loses, he will call it into question. Of course. There's a 0% chance of, of him willingly handing over power in yeah. that way and accepting any form of defeat. Correct. Because there's no pattern to... Dem I mean, he won... The presidential election. He he became president and couldn't even accept the fact that he lost the popular I know. vote. And has called that into question. I know. When in fact, the election was rigged by a foreign power in his favor. For him. Dude, did you see the article today that like Russian agents were popping champagne in the Kremlin saying we made America great when he got elected? Yeah. Dude, all the, like it's so obvious. And he's out here saying like, oh no... He's still denying that Russia had any involvement in hacking DNC servers or influencing the election in any way in 2016. He's out here thinking Hillary Clinton's secret server is lost in Kiev somewhere and Rudy Giuliani is going to go find it. Like, these are the people in power right now. I know. Anyways, let's talk about some music. Yeah, because I, I got to say, man, it does... It does get me to a point where I, I mean, you were saying you're truly scared. Yeah. I, I, I really, really do get to a point where I get like legitimately panicky and tweaky me about too. it. Me too. And like start feeling like, oh no. I know. Fuck. I know. Like this is and, bad And, and news, you know, I, I, I drive to work and I, I did, you know, I recently moved. I, I'm in a place where like people's lives are like pretty easy. And I look around and I'm just like, this This feels like a ticking time bomb in a way, though. Like, th like none of this feels real in that we're all kind of hiding here, it feels like. And, and pretending like shit's not bad and we're still living our easy lives. And I think when you live in the Northeast, that is easy to do. D 
Y- yes. Man, man, what do you think will happen if he wins another four years in office? I, I, I think he angles to never leave office. Yeah. In a way. Or, 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 or sets his family up to take over or something along those lines. I do. I, I think... I don't know, man. I, if he does win again, it will only be because of like some nefarious shit that goes down with the quote-unquote free election. Because there's no... I, I really don't think, given a free and fair election with no interference or any other bullshit going on, would he win and get elected for a second term. Like We're to... not that lost. We're not that dumb as a, as a collective people. And he knows that. And that's why he's going and soliciting foreign powers for dirt on on potential rivals and other candidates. He knows that. He knows the only way he can win is to rig it. I'll say this, and this is, this is the last thing I'll say before we jump into to the actual podcast, is um, I'm already nervous for how nervous I will be oh my God. on election day. I'm already uh, nervous. Like, thinking about it gives me legitimate anxiety. Me too. Because going into the last one in 2016, I remember feeling like, well, I have a little anxiety if this doesn't go right. And then it didn't go right. Against the odds. I I will never forget the feeling when, you know, it wasn't looking good. And then I think what, like... Either Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania came in, and it was real. And you were like, uh, we were all like, oh, oh, it's over. Yeah. That's it. Like, And then one by one, we each went to bed. Man, I, I'll never I, – I, I, there's no way I'll ever forget that. And then the next day, I, uh, I remember going for a run. It was a cloudy day, and I saw an eagle, literally an eagle. <laughs> two, two on the nose. It was two on the nose. You wouldn't believe it if it was written in a book or in a poem. You'd, you'd like laugh it off. Saw an eagle fly overhead and was just like... Pfft. You know what's crazy, too, is for two more months, Obama was still our president. Yeah. Anyways, right. I, it's, it's, it's all a little too much to uh, process and handle at the moment. Yep. Um, We're all but, a little freaked out. You know, I, I find myself just refreshing uh, the Reddit politics and news threads, just being like, what's new? What, like, crazy shit is, is going down? And, like, okay, here's another thing, too. I've gotten to the point where I wake up each morning, or, or it's been a while since I've looked at my phone, and I expect not, not just, like, think, oh, maybe there will be some crazy development. I expect something horrifically bad to be there like i woke up on i think it was what saturday or sunday there was another shooting at like a kansas city bar or something followed by missed like, that one by exact yeah exactly followed by some crazy news about trump and i was just like <laughs> like i laughed i was just like this isn't real you know it doesn't help with that feeling nope good old solipsism and then yeah anyways i it just feels like we got to hold on another year. It, yeah. it, you, you just, you never know if we can. And then God forbid it's another five years from now. Cause it could be. Dude, we can't do this another five years. And we might, we legitimately might. And I think we will, which scares me more than almost anything. You think after all the impeachment stuff this time, yes. I think it will strengthen his base with exactly what but you're talking about. his base, but not like – because the reason why he won was the moderates 
and the independents and the undecided voters, the people who who voted for Obama in 2012, who voted for Trump this time, you really think they're going to stick around and be like, yep, this is the guy I want. Because I think I, I, part I, of it, too, that we're maybe discounting a little bit is the hatred for a Hillary Clinton in 2016. I know that's totally fair. But everything I thought I knew about how it would go in 2016 was wrong. I know. It just feels like that could happen On again. On account of the Russian meddling. Which could happen again. Will happen again. In ways maybe we don't even know or understand. It can't I prevent. I know. Like who knows, man. I know. It's uncharted territory and it's like... I mean, what if we went back to just good old-fashioned fucking paper ballots and like it well, took five weeks to tabulate what is happening now is so to make any changes like that it weirdly has to i think like be laws that are passed or things like that and it's in the republicans and they know this it's in their best interest to not do things that will guarantee us a fair election because they know like they can't win otherwise isn't that the sickest fucking thing yes. in the world yes and it, it's been true for a while. Too, yes. That they gerrymander. and It's been true for this entire century so far. Voter fraud policies. Yeah. Yes. It's not a real Which problem. are like thinly veiled racist policies. Yeah, man. Yeah. So final, final thing. Um, okay. If this becomes a place that like is clearly not a free democracy anymore, do you consider leaving? What, do, what do you do? Absolutely. I think it It depends. I mean, I think if we get to a really bad point, I'm talking like two, three years into a second Trump era, a second Trump presidency, yeah. and things are clearly taking some really sordid twists, I think I would consider moving to Canada, consider maybe a move to Europe. However... I mean, man, it happens so gradually and day by day that it's boiling frog. I don't, I don't know that I would have. Ex- if if you told me where we're at right now in 2016, I probably would have said like, "Oh, I wouldn't." There's no way I'd live in a country like that. Right. Right. But, but we're fat and happy. That's the thing. I know. I we're, know. We're in the class of people. And who that's are what satiated. I mean about living in the north. Hey, my life's easy. My life really isn't affected. Um, I can be outraged by this stuff, but like my day to day is the same. We're satiated by the opiate that is comfort. Yeah, yeah. Every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all, all very, very scary stuff. Um, let's dive in here, Jake. I hope you enjoyed that post show. I hope show, so listeners. too. Holy Jesus shit, that's like an episode of its own. I know. Holy fuck. I want to say that went for like a half hour. I think it might have. I think it might have. Let me get let me get one more uh, of these bad one boys. One more Gansett to... Yeah, to calm the nerves. I'll filibuster for a moment. The New England Patriots are 5-0. and um, Brady has looked iffy in some games, pretty good. Uh, they have not played really any teams except for the Buffalo Bills that have any kind of, you know, that are really even close to a good team. Two of the teams they've played have are winless. Um, hard to say what to think about that. Also feels very small to be bringing this up. Uh, I'll, I'll get that the door. In, in the in the face of what we just discussed, football seems meaningless. But hey, I am relatively excited that the team we root for, who also has ties to Trump, coincidentally, uh, is five and zero. 
And like very upsettingly after their um oh not even their most recent Super Bowl win, the second most recent. <laughs> yeah. Had Richard Spencer, known like neo Nazi oh fucking God. white supremacist prick praising them on Twitter for being the whitest team in the NFL. Jesus. Jesus Christ. You know, talk about... Save me white Jesus. Talk about uh, satiation, Sean, by uh, by uh, comfort. Really makes things feel real, doesn't it? <laughs> when your team always, always, always wins. Yep. The most popular sport. Anyways, uh, all right, here we go. Here we go, Jake. we got some great, great albums to talk about here. Uh, three, two, one, 